This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be sitting here with John Woods. And last time I saw you, we were at the, um, what's it called? The, the Dead, Dead Preachers, Preachers Society. Society. In Sussex, yeah, absolutely. In Eastbourne, now, did you set up the Dead Preacher Society? I did. We had the conference in July, and and Ben, thank you for coming along and speaking at that. Um, that was well received, and we've got some plans to do one or two other things in the future. Mm-hmm. And you're based in Sussex. Yes, yes, in, in Lansing near Worthing. So, John, for how long have you been in Lansing there? Been there for. 26 years now. Mm-hmm. And you're the pastor of a church which is called? Well, I was the pastor of Lansing Tabernacle up until 2020. I retired a little bit early to start an international traveling ministry. But obviously 2020 um, <laughs> was was not quite as we anticipated. Right. So um, I didn't do quite as much traveling, although mm-hmm. I did a fair bit of traveling by Zoom uh-huh. during that time. And the first time I came across you, of course, was through the conference but also through this great book you've written on preaching yes you're someone with not only years of experience of preaching but someone who's considered the subject of mm. preaching and it's the, the using the model of the of the house mm. as a, an idea for preachers to help to structure their sermons i found it to be a almost like a, having a book as a friend mm. how long when did you get the idea to get a, write a book about preaching as a house well, God is in the house. Yes. Well, doing some training in, in Latvia, um, which I've been doing yeah, for 30 years, we, we had a session on preaching from Mark's gospel. And I was thinking about the way that Mark put together his gospel. Mark is a preacher and Mark's gospel you know, is like a sermon, you know, with a beginning with that great text. This is a beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and moving through the sermon till you get to a kind of climax when the centurion says, surely this man is the son of God, and how, how Mark develops that message in different moves throughout the gospel. And I introduced the idea of a house and, and reflected on the doorway of the house being like that introduction and how you take people through the different rooms of the sermon and lead them to the exit and thinking about how those different rooms are connected by words and phrases and and how in each of the rooms there are windows pictures and mirrors that that seek to communicate Mm. what is there Mm. and for me that kind of helps me i'm a bit of a visual thinker i suppose what it particularly helped me to do was to think that sermons are structured but they have a, a definite movement i think sometimes sermons you know they don't move in any way they don't move in terms of progression, but neither do they move in terms of stirring. Yes, so there's a development. But rather than calling it God is in the journey, God is in the race, God is in the fight, you call it God is in the house, which is a fascinating picture. You have that verse in Proverbs, many precious and beautiful things are kept in the house. Yes. And when you're inviting someone in, now apart from anything else, in the world in which we live, the likelihood that someone's going to be sitting down and hearing someone talking for maybe half an hour or maybe more. It's very rare. Yes. And to have that ability to speak and to engage a person. Mm. Now, there's something of hospitality immediately implicit. Yes, indeed. And I, I think that a preacher as a host is a, is a really interesting idea. In the book, I tell a story about a couple of Italians who, who travel around Italy, one as a historian, one as a, a chef, and they, they go to different establishments to, to enjoy food. 
And in one of the, the episodes, the, the chef says to the historian, who's English but fluent in Italian, he says to him, in the previous place, we experienced um, service, but here we've experienced hospitality. And he said that that's part of the, the nature of, of Italian catering and the way that they seek to establish their restaurants, that people feel as though they've been invited into a home and they're, they're almost eating their mother's cooking. Mm. Uh, and if you have that experience, you know, that's more than just being served. Yes, it's a striking thing and, and, and profound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You read the, uh, my first degree was in classics and yeah. the, the classical literature, the principle of hospitality is a principle over which wars are fought. Yeah. When Helen is stolen from a home. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Or if a, a guest is not welcomed, significant. And we find in the Old Testament the very significant elements of uh, the prophet showed up to the house and mm. and the principles of a home. So it's striking and a, a very fascinating, but also a compelling picture of a of how to structure a sermon. Also, and I'm sure anyone listening to this who regularly preachers knows it's hard it's hard work mm. quite apart from all the mental labors we have an enemy who mm. wants to destroy every sermon we preach yeah and he wants to destroy us Pre preachers know that the preparation day is the hardest day of the week yeah it's hard mm. and to have someone say how about this see it as maybe this is a room this part of your sermon is a room mm. i'm bringing you're bringing them into mm. now it, that's it, it introduces oxygen <laughs> into the mind of a of a of a preacher that they can sense yes i could see this as a way through i found it to be a useful but also not only that you you hadn't only had a novel idea but you embellished it with many mm. illustrations and principles which you gleaned from i mean lloyd jones features keller features prominently m many great preachers mm. you uh, bring them all in and you demonstrate and expose them in different uh, different places in the house. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to learn from these mentors in the past, obviously going back to the, the biblical preachers. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think I think of Mark as a preacher, um, I think of John as a preacher, and the way that they, that they lay out their four gospels, their four tellings of the story, are, you know, very interestingly individualistic and creative. And uh, they remind you that, in order to communicate the message, there are lots of different styles and voices mm. um, that can be employed in doing this. Mm. I think sometimes preaching is very monochrome. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit like the football team who has a, a really brilliant striker, and you know that every time they get the ball, they'll, 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 they'll give it to him. Right. It's route one football, and there is a lot of route one preaching, right. and it can become predictable right. and is not that interesting and probably not that nourishing either. Right. That's a striking thing. If anyone hasn't read the book, it's helpful. <laughs> it's a very helpful idea because you're bringing people in and showing them around. Yeah. God is in the house. Langham Publishing, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Excellent stuff. How is it you came to understand the gospel in the first place, John? I've always believed there's a God. I don't know why. I was brought up in my, in my first year or so in mother and baby home connected with a convent. Hmm. So I guess probably someone or, or other was praying for for people who were who were in that place. Um, I guess that was probably so. I remember someone who who was in, in the Sunday school that I was sent to as a boy. She worked in a, a bakery around the corner from where we used to live, and she worked in the shop a bit, serving people. And she 
she probably served me my my first buns, I suppose, as a, as a boy. And she said that um, she remembers me being pushed past the shop in a pram and uh, and praying for me. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I was sixteen when I encountered school teachers at school, uh, RE teacher and a maths teacher, and they used to run a scripture club. That I I felt an interest in in spiritual things but didn't become a Christian at that stage. And then someone at school gave me a, a leaflet that said, Jesus is alive. It was a bit of a surprise because this guy had previously been a salesman for the socialist worker outside <laughs> the, the local cinema. Wow. But he'd, um, he'd started going to this local church and he said, well, come along to the youth group tonight. And I did. And when I went in, just a, someone's lounge um, full of young people and they were singing and uh, praying reading the Bible. And my consciousness was that they were, when they were reading the Bible, it was as though they were being addressed by someone. And when they were praying, they were talking to someone personal and real. And after that evening, I said to the man who dropped me home, I want to know God like that. And he explained how I could. He explained why Jesus had come, what he could do in terms of setting me free, offering me forgiveness, fresh start. It, it kind of sounds a bit hackneyed, but I kind of went inside and I, I, I knelt down, I don't remember kneeling down and praying before, and, and asked Jesus to, to forgive me and come into my life. Hmm. And not everyone can date the time, but, but uh, that was 19th of September, <laughs> 1972. Spurgeon says, you know, you don't need to know the day of your birth to know you're alive. Hmm. Um, but uh, that was the, the day when I encountered Jesus. Hmm. Wonderful. Very simple, and yet not something out of which you've grown. No, indeed. This is something I find compelling about, about reading about Paul in the New Testament, that he, he grows, he doesn't grow out of the first blessing of encountering Christ. Um, he grows within that first blessing. And everything about the trajectory of his Christian experience flows out of the encounter with Christ. It is, it is now his life and it shapes his life. And I think you can't ever um, forget falling in love with Jesus Christ and knowing that he loves you. So I have faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, that is the bedrock, isn't it, of all Christian experience and all Christian preaching. Wonderful. Yes, indeed. Hmm. And that's what keeps it vital, surely. Absolutely. Because it's not only this is someone we're interested in, this person in whom we're interested it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Absolutely. And therefore, his priorities, his life, his life. Mm. We're reading as our, in our little church plant, we're reading about, reading Dan Strange's great book, Plugged In. Yeah. And he talks about what you, yeah. of course, what you believe about God, it shapes everything. Yeah. And he makes a very interesting comparison. He says, the Muslim believes in the Tawhid, which is, they're yeah. very keen on the whole idea that mm. God is one. Mm. Mm. And of course, he says, therefore, their ideal of uh, the Islamic society mm. is it's very, very orientated towards uh, conformity, mm. Islam means submission, mm. uh, and they are told to submit. Now, interestingly, we, we live around a lot of Muslims in our area, and sadly, what comes across is what we recognize as fatalism. 
Mm. It's just this kind of there's yeah. there's no sense of overflowing ebullient joy, and so mm. it mm. seems very downtrodden. Yeah, and there's a fatalistic thing. So what they believe about their one God has influenced everything. But mm. we believe a God who who knowing Him is knowing life, mm. and frankly, people who have known Him. They've changed everything. I mean, the fact that we live in a country with hospitals, schools, social welfare, all these things, come from him. I think one of my favourite verses is, um, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that, you know, that is the the nature of Christian experience, overflowing magnetic joy and peace. That's wonderful. I saw the kittle. New Testament new, new yeah. dictionary of this theology, the Greek word kaukaomai mm. means rejoice, mm. and they put as the definition at the end of the definition it says the basic Christian attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that glorious. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Overflowing yeah. the joy in believing. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> um, I think delighting in God is a really important thing to to stress. Evangelicals want to get things right. I think that's quite important. I, you know, we do we do serve a precise God, but the precision is something which brings great joy. But as as you see, you know the the orderliness of the Trinity, the uh, the wonderful inter interrelational harmony. As you see the you know the the unfolding of God's plan. As you see Jesus coming to Earth, interacting with people, drawing men to Himself, making them into disciples. There is a a wonderful beauty in that. And I think perhaps one of my other favorite verses is from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10, where, where Jesus is, is captured praying. And I, I like that comment that um, Tom Wright makes, you know, uh, the question he asks is, what was it like to be Jesus? And, I, and I've pondered that, that, that phrase a lot in preaching on the gospels. What was it like to be Jesus? And of course that, that little picture of him full of joy through the Holy Spirit, praising the Father. I think it's just one of the most amazing moments in the whole Bible. It's like his baptism, where you have that moment where he's the Father speaking, you know, here's my son, mm. and the Spirit lands. And, he, and people would have walked past not noticing. They don't know this is the highest point. And there's the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Indeed. Well, I think in life that's, that, that's often so, isn't it, that there's more going on than we can ever imagine. That's right. I'm convinced of that. And we'll have seen it in, in basic church life. You'll often see someone's hitting the bullseye and they don't even know they're, holding, they don't even know they're throwing mm. because they're just finding Jesus to be enough at the moment. Mm. And mm. he's getting them through. And even though it's not working, they're rejoicing. Yeah. You say, yeah. that's actually, there's mm. nothing greater than that. Sure, sure, <laughs> absolutely. That's wonderful. John, you're a thinker. You're a ponderer. Mm. Do, you, do you work that into your schedule? Yes. Um, so I read a fair bit. I think also uh, it's, it's how you read and how you approach life. So every, every morning I get up and I read the Bible. That's how I begin. Well, I, I begin with a cup of tea and I, and I read the Bible and I pray. And I, was trying, and, I, and I always try and read something else. So at present, I'm reading through sermons by Augustine. So I've read the 11 volumes of Augustine and I'm reading... The, uh, the homilies on John. I try and find something to tweet from, from that each day. Hmm. And I think about what, um, what I've read. That is a very liberating thing, mm. for sure. Mm. Um, I do a bit of book reviewing. Mm. So that, that, that means that I need to 
read the book and think about what I think about it. Mm. And I need to express what I, what I value and think about potential reservations. Mm. So I think living in a way that evaluates what you see, what you read, what you hear is, is very good. Mm. I've always tried to do that. Mm. And you know, so if, if I'm watching a movie, um, watching TV, reading the newspaper, I try and think about what's going on. Mm. Do you structure your day so that there is reading at a certain time? Do you fall into it? We're living in a time in which people read memes, social media posts, but reading books yeah. is less likely. Do you, is it a fight? Um, no. I mean, it's never been a fight. Um, I, I just always kind of enjoy reading. So, so I've always got books on the go. Not many weeks go by that I haven't read a book. Mm-hmm you know, through maybe mm-hmm. a couple of books. I just try and do that and, uh, and I do fit it into my schedule mm-hmm. um, because I think unless I do that, I'm not really feeding my, my mind and my heart. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, as a preacher, a tap, mm. I can't turn the handle of the tap and expect fresh water to come out unless I'm connected to a water supply. Mm. And, of course, that's, that's true of just a whole bunch of things reflecting on Scripture knowing God, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking in the light with my brothers, those that I agree with and those that I don't agree with all the time. And, and all of those things fill me up hmm. and allow me then to flow. Do you set out a schedule for your reading such that you're reading certain kinds of books at certain times? You read a certain number of Christian, old um, fiction? Well, it's not entirely planned. I try and respond to, to what's coming out. I try and have a, a balance between old and new books, secular and, and Christian books, history and novels. Mm-hmm. There are certain novelists that I will always want to read whenever they have a new novel out. Um, so some of my favourites are Julian Barnes, Ian McEwan, and American writers like um, Anne Tyler, and uh, Elizabeth Strout. And the great thing about Anne Tyler is that she, she's written right, 20, 20 or so books, and they're all about people living in the same American city of Baltimore. And they're all, uh, generally speaking, they're, they're books that don't have happy endings, and they're about relationships that don't necessarily pan out well. So that, that they're not kind of happy, they're not necessarily happy stories, but they're quite realistic stories. And and that feeling that you don't always have to have a happy ending is quite important, I think, for for a, for a preacher. Um, and the feeling that you don't always have to tie up the loose ends, mm. um, I think, is is useful as well. Mm. So so I find reading novels good in that respect. But I think also, I think probably started by by reading the novels of Graham Greene. They were really good insights into the human condition, and they described the and the temptations and weaknesses of human beings quite well. Mm. So I think sometimes, sometimes preachers talk about sin, but it is so very general. Mm. Um, and they don't really help people with sin very much at all because all, all they do is make people feel bad about sinning. Mm-hmm. But I think understanding why we sin, how we sin, what we're looking for beyond the sin and how in fact 
that's always a bit of a misplaced journey. And where we can find what we're looking for without sinning is, is kind of a helpful thing for the preacher to tell us. Hmm. So sometimes I find my imagination is stopped by reading those. History, I, I kind of find fascinating as well in, in that regard. It's kind of thinking about how human beings have navigated life in the past. Very useful. Hmm. Um, so I've said, you know, I read Augustine, and I, I enjoy reading Augustine. Mm-hmm. I, I think I do kind of enjoy those um, early church fathers or, you know, first few centuries. I think because there's a sense in which they, they're a little bit closer to the sources sometimes, mm-hmm. um, uh, the geographically, linguistically, and they they're kind of looking at some of these issues that preachers still wrestle with yes. for the first time. Mm. They don't always get it right necessarily, but seeing how how they've kind of wrestled with these issues very informative. Yeah. But I also like to read you know modern things uh and I think it's useful to read things by people that I agree with and people I disagree with. Mm. Um I think sometimes you know, Christian leaders can read books that they agree with and then become delighted that the, that the author says what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to be stretched, and I think always I felt try and buy the best book, try and read the best book on every subject. Hmm. Right. Um, and, and not waste time with the mediocre. Mm. That's very good. I, I don't understand why... <laughs> I've been asked to write some things. I think, why would anyone read me when they could be reading mm. you know, Bainton, Piper, you know, sure. <laughs> be reading a yeah. John Pollock biography? You know, really? Do I really have that much to contribute on the subject? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a... And you do wonder about um, the, the, the proliferation. Also, there's a significant issue, and this is why I get practical there. Significant issue is the number of books we own versus the number we've read. And it sounds like you're working your way through them, but I think that's a significant issue that we're buying. We love to buy, we love to buy the books, but mm. do we actually get through them? And that's a, that's a significant thing. I find reading with people, I read with people in our congregation, mm. and we, have, we, just, we keep up. I'm on page this, page yeah. that, yeah, yeah. gets you through the book. Mm. And you tend to find, actually, I'm surprised how, how much people love that. They'll go for it. Yeah, let's go. Mm. And then you find, similarly, you're bringing them into a new room, and yep. they're finding new beautiful things in there. Yep. And you think this is this mm. is it's of great help. It gives you another vocabulary. It gives you yep. reference points with people and helps them to see new light. Also, and I propose this is a significant one, reading through the great classics, reading through your church fathers and so on, at the back of one's mind as a believer, we tend to think, um, I, oh, I've seen something wonderful in Colossians. But I'm sure it can't be that simple, really, mm. because mm. there's Irenaeus, there's Augustine. there's it, And then you read Augustine and he's saying, look, there's something wonderful in Colossians you go oh hang on a minute mm. you know mm. the fact that I felt something <laughs> found to be wonderful it might that might be good that yes. might be enough yes absolutely I think also you know yeah rediscovering certain people I mean I, I read a lot of Spurgeon when I was um in my teens and not say grew out of him but I, I, I suppose kind of began to read other things and and recently I've been reading some of the smaller things he wrote like all of grace and John Plowman's oh, talks and so on come on and uh what struck me, I mean, because I am a fan of Augustine, and of course, one of the things I write about in the book is is how Augustine uses Cicero's uh, three statements about what's 
accomplished in in a in a speaker speaking that they're seeking to teach delight and persuade and in um in those little books um, in fact in all of grace um there are some uh, little pictures copper plate pictures and uh, spurgeon interacts with the pictures you know uh, uh, with, with what he's teaching and he also seeks to persuade people of of, of the importance of taking on board what he says and that kind of interesting interaction between words image and persuasion uh, i found fascinating particularly you know in thinking about you know preaching with um, powerpoint etc etc mm. um it's almost as if spurgeon in all of grace is um is using the copper plates as as a powerpoint slide mm. um to to support the things that he's saying mm -hmm. and then moving on to persuasion that fascinates me i kind of think what would Spurgeon Lloyd-Jones do if they were preaching now? Hmm. I don't think they would be a carbon copy of themselves because they would be operating within this time hmm. and this culture. I mean, you know, they say that Spurgeon was a Puritan born out of time, and in many ways he was, yet, yet he was also a Victorian. Hmm. Um, and when I, when I explore genius from the past, I want to say, well... What can I learn from them? And how can I how, not, not just learn their views, but, but learn their methods? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I was struck by this, actually, uh, by reading some of Jonathan Edwards' sermons that he preached to the Mohican, Mohican Indians. Um, he, he obviously simplified uh, what were more complicated messages that he preached in the past. And one particular message, he, he's, he's preaching a whole sermon, which is basically a reduced version of his big uh, treatise, The History of Redemption. And he is preaching a, a massive narrative of God's unfolding plan to these Indians that he's um, seeking to communicate with. And he has obviously adapted, contextualized, the theology which he's always preached hmm. In a new setting, uh, and I find that's very suggestive. Yes, yeah. There are some negotiables. There are some non-negotiables. Yeah. And let's see how we can get the non-negotiables across. Yeah, indeed. I, I love that. I love the fact that he's not presuming or demanding that they should come up to some some set of givens that he has assimilated already. Interesting and yeah, striking. Also de delightful that, that Edwards should see that he wasn't just known for being a pragmatist. Excellent. So we've touched on already a couple of heroes. Who are people who have particularly shaped you in terms of your... Well, the first person who shaped me was a, an elder in the church that I grew up in, in Lowestoft, um, a guy called Stanley Griffin. And sometimes when I preach, I can still hear, I can hear him in my voice <laughs> um, because he was so influential. I mean, I think you know, he, he loved Christ. He loved Scripture. He loved studying. He was a, he was a, a bookbinder, and I've still got some books that he bound for me. Actually, mm. interestingly, um, and that that's what he he did to kind of pay his way. But it, he was basically a preacher and a good preacher. Um, so he was probably the the first person who who shaped me. And I think there have been some interesting influences along the way. I remember. When I was a student, um, I, I was a student at South Wales Bible College in Barry, mm -hmm. which has become now Union uh -huh. through many kind of different permutations. 
And it was interesting to learn in, in the valleys, as it were, and to be exposed to, to Welsh Reformed spirituality um, and, you know, the, the hymns that were sung and, uh, and so on, but also some of the theology of, um, of the Reformation and Puritan times and beyond. But one interesting discovery when I, when I was there was um, beginning to read John Stott. Now, John Stott wasn't necessarily the flavour of the month um, at South Wales Barber College. But what, um, what I appreciate about him and, and the message uh, of the Bible that speaks today um, series that he, he, he produced was that there is, a, there is a need to discover what Scripture says but to creatively find ways to communicate it. And I found that most useful. So at the time I, I was in Wales, I read all of the sermons that Banner had produced by Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and I read all of the things that John Stott had written. And I, I found that you know putting them both together was a good combination. <laughs> and reading Preaching and Preachers by uh, Lloyd-Jones and reading I Believe in Preaching by John Stott, I felt... You know, the one compensated for the other. Where the one was weaker, the other was stronger and vice versa. Mm. So that was useful. That, that kind of brings me up to about the <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> Excellent. We've gone back from the early church up to uh, central London, west, yes. London, west end of London Indeed. in the Indeed. 20th century. Excellent stuff. And, 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 and with Augustine, of course, you've got that wonderful devotional theology, which, yep. again, there's a simplicity but it's, it's ripe, it's living mm. and vivid yeah. and very encu- encouraging to read. Yeah, 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 indeed. indeed. Excellent. And so what are you up to at the moment, John? What's new with you now? Since 2020, I've been working for the School of Preachers Trust uh, and I, I do some preaching training in the UK, mainly in, in Latvia, where we have a, a two-year School of Preachers uh, programme. Present, we're, we're seeing God is in the House being translated into Latvian should be the first book on preaching that uh, they have in the Latvian language. Wow. Encouraging. It's also been translated into Russian, but there's a bit of work that needs doing to kind of polish that up to make that a uh, bit, bit better for distribution. Um, so that's that's part of that um, and, and doing preaching and training here and there. Also doing a bit more writing. So presently writing something on fatherlessness, um, which... I found personally and pastorally a really live issue um, in so many people's lives, both here and in Latvia and many other countries. When you're speaking about fatherlessness, now, what would you say to encourage people who are fathers into seeing their role? Because they're, you're just in the term fatherlessness. That when you hear that word, there is a, almost a sense of vertigo. There's mm. almost a sense of a bottomless drop, a fall, a void mm. and dad is not the most inspiring figure mm. in our time mm. and yet the fatherless know all about what it would be to have dad dads don't know what to do at the moment we're the fools in all the jokes and so on so what would you say a dad could bring well i'm mean, obviously you know, for people who who don't know their fathers uh Potentially, they could bring everything, uh, and I think, you know, I wish is the kind of response I suppose from from people who are fatherless. I think children probably, when they think about their father, they're looking for something 
more than they can find anywhere else. So sometimes fathers and mothers talk about being their, their children's friends. And of course, a child doesn't want necessarily their father to be their friend because they've got friends. They want their fathers to be their father. Um, and I think you know, to take them seriously as, as, as sons and daughters, take them seriously as, as people, and to, to invest in them appropriately. I think probably some of our most fruitful times, me and, and my daughters and my, and my son, are the times when, when we took time out and did something just two of us. So father, son, father, daughter, go on a trip um, or just, just go for a walk. And the opportunity to spend time and to, to share experiences, I think are inval invaluable. And I think, think also the recognition that we're always, we're always on duty, as it were. We're always on call, but we don't necessarily always have to say something. So the moments when they are ready to talk and ready to listen um, are invaluable. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, as we know, they don't always come at convenient o'clocks, do they? I mm -hmm. mean, it's, um, it's sometimes the conversations that happen at, you know, five to midnight, maybe in the car, being picked up from the railway station or, or around the kitchen table over a cup of tea or something. Uh, those are invaluable. Mm. 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 Excellent. Now, um, last question I'd like to ask you is, uh, what would your advice be to people listening to this? As broad as you like. Well, obviously, I'd like to say that, you know, my advice is to continue, um, you know, listening to these podcasts. I'm sure that they'd be What a improving. wise answer. <laughs> that would be one very wise answer. <laughs> I think my answer would be to be as generous as as you can be um, to, to people around you. We live in a world where there's more take than give. And we live in a world where where people can sometimes unfairly characterize people in a way that doesn't cast them in a good light. Generosity in terms of what we say about people and, and, and how we hear things about people. I can't remember exactly who the preacher was. I think it may have been R.W. Dale, the, 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 the famous preacher from Birmingham. If someone came to him with a criticism about someone else, he would defend them to the hilt. If someone came to him with a criticism about him himself, he would take it with great seriousness. And I think that's a really helpful approach, that we, we give people the benefit of the doubt, but we're not, quite, we're not, we're not so generous with ourselves. That if, if, if we recognise that there is something that we need to give attention to in our own lives, we need to do it um, rapidly mm. and thoroughly. That's helpful. Yeah. In a, in a lonely city like London, there isn't a great deal of true generosity. We're looking at doing our, our evangelism mm. just by uh, we're our structured evangelism as a church, mm. just by going up to people mm. and getting to know them. Yeah, yeah. And that's so strange. I'm sorry to tell you, John, we had our carol service just before Christmas, the first one, which is thrilling. Mm -hmm. And I introduced two women to each other who have lived on the mm. same estate mm. for 40 years. Mm. 
and you think, what is going on? You know, yeah, just, yeah. They don't, they've never met. Yeah, and they have, they've, our estate, they live on the same estate. Mm. If they'd met in another town, oh, you must know them. No, well, how long have you lived here? 40 years. Mm. And just saying hello, friendly, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting how, how, how rarely Jesus says, oh, I'm God, I'm going to die and rise again. You're going to be saved if you believe mm. on me. No, instead he seems to be friendly with people. Could I have a drink? Well, there you go. This is it. Bill Edgar said he said to me um, he, he was quoting C.S. Lewis he, says, he said C.S. No, he said a friend of his said to C.S. Lewis he makes friends with you before he preaches to you yeah. and then Bill said it's like Jesus isn't it and you think well there we go yeah yeah just being friendly to people generosity is a great way in potentially thank mm. you for that that's helpful well it's wonderful to have this time with you thanks thank so you. much John thank you and that great book God is in the house is about preaching Indeed. and it's helpful and unique Bless you, John. Thank you. Thank you. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org.